Turn your Bibles this evening to two places, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Genesis. Luke and Genesis, we're going to be having just a little more worship, kind of an afterglow and a special time of prayer at the end of our service. If you need prayer for anything, there have been people that have literally been praying all week for you, that you and they might have an encounter with God in a very personal way. So we'll pray with you after the service. I've been doing a series the last couple of weeks called Unshakable. Can you say that with me? Unshakable? Remember when Jesus gave us the, uh, the great picture of the, 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 the storm that was blowing and the one whose house was built on a rock versus the one who built their life on the sand and the one who built their life on the rock, which was the teachings of Christ, I mean, their life is unshakable. But yet those that build their life any other way, it's built on sifting sand. So I've been talking to you about having unshakable faith in uncertain times. And how many would agree with me that we live in a world of uncertainty today? We live in a world where even those that are supposed to know about our future and our economy and those things really express their concern quite vocally. There is uncertainty in America. And what we've been doing in this series, and I'll continue it for several weeks, so hopefully you'll invite a friend with you to come on Friday night. We've got great kids' ministry, just like Sunday morning. We try to make it identical. But we've been talking each week about a different biblical character. We've been talking about someone in the Bible and learning something from their unshakable faith. We talked about the word waiting with Joseph. You remember he showed us waiting 22 years for God to fulfill a promise. He had faith that helped him to wait. Last week we talked about the word conviction. Do you remember that? Shadrach, Meshach, and... Yeah, these three guys, and basically they were told to bow down to this idol. They refused to do it. They had conviction. See, they were willing to stand for what was right. And lo and behold, God did a miracle in their life because they had the guts to stand up for what was right. They had unshakable faith. It's just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like Stephen in the Old Testament. Whether, whether God rescues you from it or he's with you in it, how many know he is the God that honors our convictions with his presence? So this week, or tonight, rather, I'm going to talk about the word focused. I want you to look with me, Luke chapter 17, verse 29. In the picture, Jesus is describing the world before he comes again. And can I tell you, one day Christ will return to this earth. One day things will not go as they have gone along every day. One day people will not marry. One day that people won't go to school. One day you won't go home and watch television. One day this world will change. One day Christ will return. But Jesus is describing in, oh, probably 12, 15 verses about what it's going to be like before he comes. And he gives us his insight, verse 29, on the day when Lot went out from Sodom. You remember the story, Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to come back to Lot tonight. But on the day when he went out of Sodom, what happened? The Bible says fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. He said, do you really believe that? I sure do. I really believe that God judged two cities in the plain around them, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of their wickedness. Verse 30, Jesus said, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now listen, verse 31. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not go down to take them away. And then he says it again like this. He said, likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. And then he makes this abrupt statement, remember Lot's wife. So he gives us, he basically saying this, Jesus is coming back one day, but there will be a tendency of many people to turn back to their old ways. Many people in that day will be turning back to their own lifestyle. They'll want to go back to their old ways rather than responding to the new ways and responding to Christ. Can you see that very clearly? And Lot's wife is an example. We'll talk about her this evening. 
You see, it's a great warning that Jesus gave all of us. And the lesson is, don't look back at your old way of life or it could cost you everything. How many people in this room are born again or saved? Let me see your hand. Yeah. Okay. Which literally means if you're born again, how many know you're not the same person you used to be? You have a new life. You're a spiritual person recreated in Christ. When you put your faith in Christ and you turn to follow Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit became a part of your life. And now you have struggles that you didn't have before. When I was lost and living in the world, I didn't struggle with sin. I just sinned. How about you? Now, don't say amen with a smile on your face, but you just, you just did it. But then when you got saved and began to follow Christ, there, you, you had... Another life, you know, you knew the right thing to do, but the wrong way would try to pull you back into it. Well, Jesus is basically warning us in this passage is not to focus on your old way of life. So this evening, I want to continue talking about unshakable faith and suggest to you that's what Lot had. Lot had unshakable faith to go forwards towards God's plan for his life, whereas his wife looked back at her old life and it cost her everything. So the word this evening is the word focus. And my question to you is, where are you most focused? Are you most focused on the new life that God has for you? Or are you focused on the old life and the old ways? Or are you kind of caught in the middle in a spiritual tug of war? Okay, so let's look at Genesis chapter 19 this evening. And I want to encourage you to stay focused in the right direction. You can see this little uh, center screen shot. Now, I understand as I read and studied the passage, there are there are uh, stone stone. What would the word be? Uh, well, rock formations like that in many parts of the Middle East. And tradition holds that in certain portions there that where they believe that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah used to be, that some of those formations were literally one of them could have been Lot's wife. But it was a reminder whether it was actually a person or not. The Bible says this lady turned into a pillar of salt. So that picture kind of reminds you when you visually see it, when you look at it this evening, that for those that are looking back, that one day there will be a day of judgment that could cost you everything. Genesis 19, verse 15, we're going to look at the two different focuses of a man and his wife. Now, in this passage, God is going to judge the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. I remind you this evening, the word that we have, sodomy, comes from this passage, Sodom, and it talked about the immoral lifestyle that was being practiced in Sodom. If you read the story, it was a very vile story. God basically had told Abraham he was going to judge the cities of the plain for their wickedness. Abraham had separated from his nephew Lot many months prior to that, and they had separated because they had so many goods and so many people, and Lot chose to go in this plain of the Jordan, I believe it was, and he lived in this city of Sodom. And because of Abraham and Abraham's love for his nephew Lot, God was going to spare Abraham. So he sent these two angels to go and rescue Lot and his family. Well, in the, in the middle of the night, these men call for Lot to basically send the angels out so that they might know them in a carnal fashion. It's where the word sodomy comes from, and that was the desire of the city at the time. And God said it's wickedness. Can I suggest to you today that it was wickedness, and it still is wickedness? But how many know a sin is a sin? Your sin that you struggle with. Come on. So we don't want to be self-righteous, but we want to call right, right, and wrong, wrong. So here they are. The angels are coming to get Lot and his family out of the city before judgment comes. Verse 15, at dawn the next morning, the angels begged Lot to hurry. And they said, go and take your wife and your two daughters with you so it won't be destroyed when the city is punished. Now, prior to that, we would read that Lot's, I mean, uh, the, the, his two daughters had husbands and they thought it was a big joke. 
So these people that were so immersed in this culture, they just basically said, you're crazy, father-in-law, and your friends here are crazy. We're not going. But now the angels come, uh, two daughters, get them out of the city. And verse 16 has always uh, uh, confused me a bit. It says, lot delayed. In other words, rather than running and go, for some reason, he lingered there. Now, I'm going to suggest to you what one reason may be later on. But the two men took the hands of Lot, his wife, and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city. Verse 17, after they brought them out of the city, one of these men, these were angels now, and they said, run for your lives, don't look back. Can you say, don't look back? And that's the, that's the words I want to sink in your spirit this evening. Don't look back to your old way of life. Now, you say, why did God say that? I don't know. But all I know is that God told them not to look back there or not to go back or trouble was coming. Don't stop anywhere in the valley. Now, jumping ahead, verse 24, God sent a rain of burning sulfur down from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he destroyed the cities. But in verse 26, we see these very poignant words. At that point, Lot's wife looked back, and when she did, she became... Now, how many actually believe that happened? I believe it. I believe that there was literally a fish that swallowed Jonah. And you may be a, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, a biologist uh, that studies ocean life, and you may tell me how big the whale had to be and all those kind of things. Well, listen, if God was big enough to create the whale, don't you think God's big enough to put a little more uh, oxygen in that whale? Uh, don't you believe that God's big enough to take care of the whole process? So I'm not limited by the limitations that man has. If God's big enough to create it all, he can suspend it, he can undo it, or he can recreate it. So I, I literally believe that this happened in the Bible, but a tragedy is one translation describes Lot, Lot's wife. It says this, she became like a statue made of rock salt. You say, well, what was the big deal? All she did was look back. Now, this idea of judgment, uh, it, it really, it's, it's against the sensibilities of modern Americans. You know, we don't like to think of this, but can I tell you, there's a theme of judgment that goes throughout the pages of the Scripture. Well, what happened in Noah's day? For a hundred years, a righteous man built this ark. And what did he do? He warned the people and he said, listen, you need to turn to God. God looked down on the whole earth and the only righteous person he found was Noah. And it took him a hundred years to build an ark that could have saved anyone that came in it. But nobody came in and what did God do? God destroyed the planet. Come on, God destroyed the planet. And evolutionists may try to explain it away, but guess what? When you go on mountains, and I've literally been on mountains and found seashells, come on. Is it just possible that the Bible is true and those seashells got there? Why, a flood that waters not only like rain waters, but as the Bible says, waters came from the deep and the deeps began to break up? Is it possible that at that day as you look at how the, how the continents are aligned, is it possible that they could have been one giant landmass at one time? And as this breaking began to come underneath the earth, the earth, is that possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. Well, lo and behold... This, it's not very palatable to us as we look at judgment, but in Noah's day, uh, the flood came. The earth opened up and swallowed a man called Achan. You remember when God told him not to touch this tainted silver, this thing that belonged to the pagan people, but he did it anyway. What happened? Judgment came to he and his family. The earth opened up. It swallowed them. They were judged. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira died suddenly in the New Testament because they lied. Uh, Herod, uh, Herod was eaten with worms in the New Testament because of his pride. He was eaten with worms. And then, obviously, lastly, the great judgment that comes on the world is the judgment of eternal fire, fire and brimstone, the lake of fire. It's called the second death. 
I believe that as well. Talked about in the book of Revelation, I think chapter 20, where it talks about one day the great white throne judgment and all men will appear before God on judgment day. So judgment is a theme in the Bible. It happened to Lot's wife. And as we look kind of how and why all this happened to so many people, there's, there's one common activity that preceded all the judgment, and it was this, a willful disregard of God's commandments and a looking back at their old way of life. The people in Noah's day chose to stay back there. The people, and I'm, I was wrong a moment ago when I talked about Achan. Achan was judged for a different thing. But the people that came against Moses, was it Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, is the, the ones who the earth swallowed up. Uh, how, how many know, listen, God, these people were focused on the ways of this world more than they were on God's ways. Now, Lot and his wife offer us a very vivid contrast. And here's what used to confuse me. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7, it tells us this. God rescued Lot out of Sodom. Why? Because he was a, say it again, a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Now think about that. The Bible in the New Testament says he was a righteous man, sick of their shameful, wicked behavior. But for some reason, he stayed there. Now I wonder why he stayed. Now we've got to be careful because if the Bible's not clear, how I many know we can't be adamant? But I think one strong possibility is it's because his wife was there. Come on. And she clearly loved the ways of the world. That's one thing that we do know. When she was looking back, she looked back and she looked back against the, the, the warning of the angel. She looked back against probably the pleas of her family. Mama, come on. But for some reason, Mama looked back at the ways of the world. I believe Lot delayed in leaving because he, he, was, he was conflicted over his wife. You see, Lot had lived in a sinful place. And the Bible doesn't tell us anything about his wife. Some have speculated that she could have been uh, married before they went to Sodom, but there's no real proof of that. It's quite possible he married someone from that area, and clearly the daughters married someone. So what happens when you're in this world, and the deeper you get into the things of the world and your old life, the harder it is to get out? You see, God warned him that he was going to destroy the region, but for some reason even he didn't want to leave, and the angel had to physically take him and lead him out of the city. And I want to tell you this, friend, if you hold on to your old life too closely, too, you know, with too much grip in your hand, it will be hard for you to let go of it. See, it will be hard to let go of your old life. And the more it is, it is in your life and a part of your life, and we'll talk about that, the more it has the potential to affect you. Now, I want to look kind of at this startling lesson we have tonight with a, a series of questions that I want to ask you maybe four or five questions and give you some Bible answers to it as we look at this passage about looking back in the focus of our lives. But the first question is, what was Lot's wife looking back at? What was she looking at? Now, First John chapter 2, I'm going to go there in just a second. But what was she looking at? As I said earlier, the Bible does not tell us directly, but clearly something strong was at work in her heart for the ways of the world. Something about Sodom had a greater appeal to her than the new way that God offered her. Now, I want to suggest to you the parallels are striking today because there are so many things that want to pull you and I back into our old way of life. Now, as we try to understand the difference between the two, see, she was looking back and probably she had a longing for the ways of the world and her old way of life. How many can understand and relate to that? See, you may love the Lord, but yet still be tempted to go back. Somebody said amen? You may love the Lord, and you may have a lot of friends that are still living an old lifestyle. Well, guess what happens when you get around them? You want to do what you used to do. 
I mean, sometimes you have to make a choice. Do you realize Lot's two daughters made a choice over God's ways over what their husbands were saying? And on the way out, Lot's wife made a choice that was against even her husband. And the people that you align, that's what the Bible says, not to be unequally yoked with. Yeah, because of the potential to bring you back into an old way of life and an old way of thinking. That's why God warned them throughout the old pages of the Old Testament not to intermarry with the pagan people because what would they do? They would pull them back into the old ways or the ways of the world. Now, 1 John chapter 2, let's kind of understand what we're looking back at. What, what does this mean particularly to us today? What are we looking back at? 1 John 2, 15 says this, and it kind of gives a big umbrella, and it says, don't love this world nor the things that it offers you. Now, it's not talking about the terra firma. It's not talking about the planet, but it's talking about the systems of this world, the ways of this world. It says, don't love the ways of the world that it offers you, for when you love the world... Listen to this next part. You don't have the love of the Father in you. Can you see that? You can't fully love the world and the old life and love the Lord Jesus at the same time. And what's impossible to do. And then it explains it to us. Verse 16, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Now listen, if you want to understand what the world is, a craving for physical pleasure. And can I suggest that, first of all, let's be very clear, pleasure is not a bad thing. The Bible teaches us over and again about things that we're able to enjoy as believing people. But how many know when the primary pursuit of your life becomes pleasure, you are in love with the world? See, when it occupies a place of an idol in your heart, uh, this world is described as a craving for everything we see. There's something that God doesn't satisfy me. It's the things of the world that satisfy me. Whether it's the catalogs that flood your mailbox, the car you see somebody else driving, a desire for more and more and more of this world rather than the things that God is offering to you. Pride in our achievements and possessions. Now, there is a healthy pride that is good for you, but there is a pride and an acknowledgement of what you have and what you've done that if you don't give God the credit for it, it can warp your way of thinking. Are you with me this evening? It's called the love of the world. The Bible says these are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And verse 17 says this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will so here's the choice. You're in the middle. Do you want to live forever as you follow God's ways? Or do you want to look back at the ways of the world? Or let me add this to it. The sinful practices of the world. The sinful people of the world. And, and let me say this fourth thing as well. Not everything of the world is bad. How I many know your hobby is not bad? But if your hobby consumes your life, for example, I love to duck hunt. But if I just decided for two, three months out of the year that I'm not coming to church during duck season, uh, forget going to church on Sunday morning. It's time to go duck hunting. It's like it has captured your heart and become an idol. Are, are you, you understand somewhere in there, some good thing that God's given you to enjoy begins to define your life and you love it more than you love God. And the way that you know is not what you say, because I guarantee you, none of us would say that you love the world more than you love God. But guess what? Your actions reveal it. Where you invest your time reveals what's important to you. And here's a big one. I can, I can, I, I, you give me two documents and I will peg your, your, your spiritual life to the T. You show me your calendar and you show me your checkbook. I'll tell you exactly what's important to you. Punch your neighbor and say they're going to be really convicted tomorrow morning on that one. All you have to do is look at your checkbook. Yeah, see, it's not just what we think about ourselves. It's what we do. It's the fruit of our life. Well, these are the world. 
And looking back at the world may make you want to go back. And going back could cost you everything. You say, well, I don't know that I really believe that. Really, ask Lot's wife. If you had a chance to just go to the Holy Land and knock on one of those rock formations that could be her and say, is looking back a bad thing? Come on, punch your neighbor and say, it is a bad thing. Now, let me look at the second question. John chapter 12. I want to give you several scriptures from the mouth of Jesus. How does Jesus expect us to live? Now, you remember throughout the scriptures when Jesus would, would, would call followers, what would he say? He would say, follow me. Can you say, follow me? In other words, I want you to stop going this way, and I want you to turn your life around. And that's what the word repent means. Repent means that you were one time going after these things, the ways of the world, the pride of life, uh, just an overt drive for money and possessions and things and immoral behavior and, and friends that were ungodly and all that. But when you heard the word of Christ and the Holy Spirit touched your heart and you turned, that word turn is the word repentance. And you turn towards God and begin to follow him. So how does Jesus, what's he expect of us? Well, John 12, verse 25, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, those who love their life in this world will what? Those who love their life in this world are going to lose their life. And those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Which simply means if you're focused looking behind you and all that's entailed in that, you're going to lose your life. You'll enjoy it for a short period of time. If you're finding your identity in accumulating things and making money, at some point you're going to be an old person. At some point you'll die unexpectedly, but at some point either through your will or through the court system, everything you have is going to be given to somebody else and you can't take it with you. See, and that's what Jesus is saying. If you love that, you're going to lose it all. But if you will simply yield your life to Christ... Now, that doesn't mean that you have to become a preacher like me. That doesn't mean you have to give up everything and wander the streets and, and stand on the street corner begging for money. But it simply means you surrender the rights to your life to Christ and you want Him to be first. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Listen, that's what I want. But he goes on to say, and this is again what Lot and his wife did. Lot's wife loved the world. Lot loved the ways of God. But notice what he says, verse 26. Jesus Christ Himself said, If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must what? Follow me, which implies let your kingdom come, let your will be done. I want you to be first because my servants must be where I am and my father will do what? Hey, doesn't it sound like a good deal if God's going to honor you? And that's not just talking about when you get to heaven. I mean, no, it's a good life right here on earth. Can I tell you, I've got a pretty good life going on earth right now. I've got a wife that loves me. I've got great kids. I've got my health. I've got a nice house out in the country. Listen, my life is as good as it's ever been in this life. Why is that? It's just because God is a good God and God, God delights in us and He cares for us. I don't, I don't lay in bed at, at night and worry. I read yesterday that one in ten Americans are depressed. It, it, I think part of that is because we're torn between the old and the new. Matthew sixteen twenty six. Jesus said, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Jesus said, Is anything worth your soul? But yet think where all of your time goes. If all of your time goes in your hobby, 
If all of your time goes into your career, your job, if all of your time, whatever your, all your time, if that's all, the whole focus of your life. And this is a great challenge because every one of us know it's not just getting extra junk. A lot of times we have to work inordinate hours just to survive. Somebody say, praise the Lord, just to keep from getting foreclosed on or whatever the case is. Or now coming up with more money for health care. So it doesn't mean you don't love God if you work a lot. But I'm telling you, there's a temptation if you're not careful to slowly look back at the things of the world. And either forget God or put him on the shelf and say, I'll pick you up later. My friend, there's no guarantee you'll have a later. Jesus said this in in Luke 9, 62. Now, this is a pretty incredible scripture. Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said that. Jesus said, any one of you, listen, if you start with me and then like Lot's wife, look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, any of you, has anyone ever uh, operated a plow or a tractor? Let me see your hand here. Now, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. When I was a boy, I used to live on a farm. And, and when you were disking a piece of land, it's pretty important that you have it kind of straight so you're not wobbling all over the field and missing stuff. Well, guess what you do when you first start and you know what your point is going to be? When you're starting that first time with the disc through the field, you never look back. Because if you look back, the tendency is, is to get off your straight path. What you do when you're driving that tractor is you pick a big tree on the end of the field or you pick a big fence post and you just put the center of that tractor driving right towards that fence post. And the tendency, though, is to look back and see if you're going the right way or you're going straight. But when you look back, you're going to veer to the left or to the right. I promise you, I have made rows that look like snakes because I was trying hard to make it straight. See, one time it was so bad when I was a kid, my dad had to disc the whole thing up again and start over when all I was doing was looking back. And I'm telling you, if you take your focus off the prize, you'll lose the prize. See, we must, to follow Christ, we must choose Him instead of the world. You cannot be fully committed to both. That's what it means to be born again. It means to leave and let go of the things of the past. Somebody give the Lord a good hand. This is good tonight. Revelation chapter 21. I want to ask you another question. Is what's behind us better than what Jesus has promised is ahead of us? Now, let's think about this just a minute. Is what's behind us, is it better than what Jesus said would be in front of us? Because I can virtually guarantee you there are people in this room that are just like me. Because at different defining points in my life, I have wondered if it was worth the sacrifice. I have wondered if it's going to be worth the cost. I have wondered if this whole Christian thing is worth everything that's involved in it with me. Now, listen to this. Revelation 21.4. Now, this is a picture in heaven where the Lord Jesus is, 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 is through John the Revelator. He's talking about what heaven is going to be like. Now, listen to this. It says, He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, listen. There's going to be no more death, no more sadness, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because the... Now, can I tell, tell you this? The old ways often have pain associated with them. Let me say it again. Looking back, the old ways often have tears associated with them. The worst memories from my life came from when I was 17 to 19 years of age when I had the freedom to live a worldly life and I lived it to the fullest. And the things that I'm most sorry for and regret today happened in those two years of my life. Come on. See, if you don't think that old life causes problems and a lot of pain, just ask the alcoholic who drinks to forget the pain. 
She started out drinking wine because it looked cool and it looked fashionable. And she saw people on television and just swirling it in the glass. But now she drinks to hide the pain after the pain of life. Ask, ask the person who makes a lot of money. But when they made it all, they have to leave it behind to someone who didn't work a day for it. If you don't believe the old life has pain in it, ask the addict who steals from his family, come on, to, to, to buy the drugs. Now, the first time he did it, it was at a party, and all the cool people were doing it, and you just thought, what was the big deal? I never imagined that meth could destroy my life. I, ne I thought cocaine was a rich person's drug, and I could not imagine that now I'm living in the gutter because it began to control my life. If you don't think the old ways have pain associated with it, friends, pause to look at what's there. You, if you don't think the old life has pain in it, you ask the person who has slept with so many people that they do not remember who they've slept with, just trying to find someone to love them and accept them and give them happiness, but they cannot find it that way. You're too quiet with me this evening. You don't think the old life has pain associated with it. Ask the person who got to the top of the social ladder. But when they climbed that ladder all their life and they got there, they found they were still not happy after everyone was looking at them and clapping their hands and looking at the big diamond on their ring and everything else. But when they got to the top, they realized it was still sadness and emptiness and pain. I want to tell you, my friends, there's not that much back there. If you don't believe me, ask Lot's wife. Now listen, and this doesn't just have to do with money. I know lots of people who have lots of money that have miserable lives. Listen, some of the wealthiest people I know have had multiple divorces. Their kids have gone crazy. Listen, they would give anything for the sanity of peace. Lawyers are after them every day to get what they've got. I mean, when you've got money, somebody wants it. I'm telling you, people that have given themselves towards that, they look at the Ted Turners, they look at, you know, they look at the, quote, successful people in life and say, I want to be like them. And they give their whole life to being like them. And they look back and they realize that they have wasted their life. What's ahead for the followers of Jesus? Mark chapter 10. Now, this is powerful. What's ahead for someone if you follow Jesus? Well, verse 28, this is the now, uh, not, not just heaven. Peter said this, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. Now, that's an incredible statement. I can't say that. Peter said, I've left everything and follow you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, lands. No one has done this for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Can you say now in this time? So, in other words, when you make a sacrifice for God, when you say no to something in your life, God says, now I'm going to turn around and bless you another way. I'm going to give you more relationships. I can bless you financially. And he goes on to say, I'm going to bless you with houses and brothers and sisters and mothers, children and land. There's going to be some persecution. But in the age to come, I'm going to give you eternal life. Now, can I tell you, that's not a bad deal. That Jesus said, if you will sacrifice your life to me in this life, if you will turn your eyes off the past and look forwards, I'm going to take good care of you in this life. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to provide for you. You're going to have a little trouble along the way. But when it's all over, because I mean, it's all going to be all over one day anyway, you're either going to live for Christ or you're not. But he said, when it's all over, I'm going to give you eternal life. And here's a scripture that will blow your mind. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It's written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those that love Him. Now, I don't know what that's going to be like, but how I many know that sounds pretty good to me? 
I mean, it's more than just no tears. God is saying, listen, it could be turkey season 24 hours out of every day. I mean, I don't know what it's going to be. I mean, there could be flocks of ducks flying in. It. I don't know what it's going to be like. But I'm telling you, the Bible says your eye has not seen it. You can't even imagine the good things that God has for you. So let me ask you this question. Why would anyone in their right mind want to go back? Why would anyone in their right mind want to live for that? When you could put your eyes on Him and go forward. Let's get real. Let's get real. But you know the thing that I find in my life and the lives of many people, most Christians are struggling with one hand in the world and one hand in the kingdom of God. I want to ask you this evening, is there something that you need to let go of in your past? Is there something pulling you back? Let me tell you something happened to me just a couple of weeks ago. I kind of escaped the crazy world. I record something on TV and I'll just sit in the chair just like you and just kind of forget about what's going on. A couple of nights ago, I couldn't. I woke up about 1.30 and couldn't sleep. And I had recorded my little DVR thing, the old Andy Griffith show, you know, Andy and Barney. And I watched a couple of them. It was kind of funny. But I recorded a movie. There was a sports movie, an athletic movie about a, about a ball team. And I had just typed it in the little DVR, and it's supposed to record. And I, I looked at it one day, and it's a couple-hour movie, but it was just an hour long. Well, I, I started watching the show, and I realized they have turned this movie into a sitcom, into a, into a, uh, what do you call it, a, uh, yeah, into a series. In other words, it, it, and it was almost like those soap operas. And I found myself, I watched a couple, a couple segments of the series. And, and I was starting to get into the characters and things. I was starting to get into the ball games and all that. But interspersed in the show was some of the most provocative, lust-oriented things in shows that I've seen in a while. But I was kind of liking the show. Now, I mean one of those where you know it's coming and you use the little fast forward. That's why God made that fast forward button for you to hop over those things. But sometimes your flesh wants to do what? Look back. And I just sat there and I thought, what am I doing for some stupid movie? If it's not going to give me the movie, then the heck with this hour soap opera. So I went in and I just deleted the whole thing. You know why? Because I didn't want to have something that would cause me to look back. Because I want to keep my focus looking forwards. Come on, give the Lord a big hand tonight. So let me ask you this evening, just something heart to heart here. Are you looking back at something? Is there something the Lord Jesus wants you to let go of? Is there something that has the potential to wreck your life? Is there something that's in a seed form that could grow, that could control you? See, that's why you need to have some protections on your computer so the little bit of pornography doesn't start. Because what started so small will end up in addictive behavior that controls your life. Let me tell you, man. I want you to bow your heads a minute. We're going to have a little time of prayer. I'm going to pray generally for you. And in a few minutes, our prayer team is going to come forwards, and we're going to have a real special time of prayer for any needs you have in your life. I'm telling you, something good is going to happen to you in the next few minutes. But right now, I'm asking you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is the Holy Spirit got His finger on something in your life? And this is just between you and God right now. Nobody else needs to know this. But you need to tell the Lord. If you're here today and said, Pastor, I, I, I'm being convicted. 
there's something that the Lord is showing me that needs to be, there's something I need to let go of. I don't want to live in that past. I need to let go of it. I want to give it to God right now. If you want to do that, just as a sign to the Lord Jesus and nobody else, because nobody's looking. But if you need to give something to God right now and say, Lord, I don't want this. I need to get this out of my life. I just want you to slip your hand to heaven. This is a way of saying, Lord, I'm giving this to you right now. Nobody's looking around. This is just you and God right now. Come on. This is just kind of a, a prophetic act, if you will. It's a statement of saying, Lord, I want to let go of it. Now, if, if you didn't want to lift your hand, that's okay. But I want to encourage you with your hands just kind of in your lap. Why don't you just open your hand? Just kind of close it, symbol, symbolizing the fact that this is something I've got in my life. It's like that little TV show. And I, I thought, you know what? I don't want that thing. And just open your hand and say, Lord Jesus, I don't want it. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to ask you to take it out of my life. I want you to convict me of it. Would you pray that right now? That God would convict you? Because here's the thing. If you say no to the Holy Spirit long enough, you won't feel that wonderful sense of conviction. You'll quench Him. You'll grieve His presence in your life, and God won't knock on your door. But could you just pray for your own self right now? Say, Lord, would you knock on the door of my heart? If there's things in my life that are not pleasing you, I don't want to have a hard heart. I want to have a tender heart so I can love you with everything in me. Now, Lord, I want to pray that the power of God would go to all of us because the Bible says that we confess our sins. You're going to be faithful. You not only just forgive us, but you're going to deliver us and you're going to set us free. And I want to pray for a mighty visitation of God to fall on all my friends right now. To have that same kind of courage and sense like Lot did and his two daughters that we're not looking back. Even though Mama looked back, we're not going back. We're getting away from this stuff. We want to be clean and holy and pure. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you in Jesus' name. Thank God. Thank God. Everybody say thank God tonight. You may be here tonight and what you need in your heart is you need forgiveness. You need God to forgive your sins and give you a new start. You need to be born again. You need to have a new life. You don't understand. You don't even know what I'm talking about. When I say being saved, being born again. See, I, my mom made me go to church when I was a kid, but I'm telling you, it was in my head and not in my heart. When Jesus Christ got in my heart, He changed my life. I became a new person. And you may need to receive God's grace tonight. You may need to receive the forgiveness of God. You may need to get born again to get saved. Not joining this church, but giving your life to Jesus Christ. You may need to answer His call tonight to follow me. If you're here today, it could be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer, or you might have prayed it in the past and just gotten away from Christ. But today is a day that you want to go back, that you want to put Christ in the center of your world, and you want prayer. So if you're here right now, you say, Pastor, I want to get right with God tonight. I need God to forgive me, and I want Him to make me a brand new person. Will you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand real high if that's you tonight? Come on, do it quickly. Anyone here tonight? I need prayer tonight. I want to commit my life to Christ. I want God to make me a brand new person. Anyone? Someone over here? Okay. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have some prayer time in just a second. In just a minute, the worship team is, is going to start singing. I'm going to ask you to stand. And as people are standing, it's going to be easy for you to just slip out of your chair and come up for prayer. Because here's what we do in every service. We really believe that God has the power to change your life. We really believe that when two people pray... The illustration I gave last week is like a car that's stuck in the mud. Then you call the wrecker and the wrecker takes a chain or takes a cable or a winch and it pulls that one car out of the mud. That's what prayer can do. That's what the faith of one person when it joins to another person and hooks up in prayer. God can help pull you out of the ditch. So if you're here tonight and say, man, I've got some things I need God to help me with. Uh, I've got some things that I need God to do. I want to tell you, He can do it, friend, no matter what it is. 
You may be sick and you may want prayer. You may have your kids may be gone crazy. You may have someone that you care about may be in trouble. You may be discouraged. You may lack peace in your life. I'm telling you, God can do something about it because He cares about you. And we at Church on the Rock, we want to help you. We don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to single you out. You don't have to be a member of this church to receive prayer. I'm telling you, you can come today and someone will pray for you and believe God with you that God will touch and change your life. So I'm just going to ask if our guys just begin to sing. Come on, as they begin to sing, why don't you just stand up right now? And I want our prayer team just to come to the front right now. Come on, our prayer team is just going to come out of the chair. And if you're here tonight and you want prayer for anything in your life, you come and someone will pray for you tonight. Come, let us pray for you tonight. Whether you're giving your heart to Christ, you've got some problems, you've got some needs. Come on, let's just begin to sing together. God will help you tonight. You come, let us pray for you tonight.